Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. Today, I'm really pleased to be joined by Jen Sharp, who is the contact center director at DHL. And I think I first saw you, Jen, at Disrupt on the on the stage and was fascinated by your story. So I'm really pleased you're on. Thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you, Martin. Appreciate it. And we're so look out for tangents because we're going to go tangent crazy. We've already started. Now, where? Well, talking of starts, then where did it all start for you? How have you got um, to this point here? Wow, I often ask myself that question, actually. But uh, predominantly, my background is sales. I've been in the logistics industry for for sixteen years, so passionate about parcels, which, <laughs> which uh, you know, I Who kind of ended up. In, you know, when you just end up in a job, and I ended up in a job sort of 16, 17 years ago, which happened to be at DHL Express after I graduated from from uni. And I was one of those people where everyone was like, so what do you want to do? And I'm like, no idea, no idea. And I thought everybody around me was like, I'm going to be a teacher or, you know, going to be a nurse. And I was just sort of, I've just coasted to the point and I'm now 21 and just ended up a temp job in, in DHL. And although I didn't stay in DHL, I stayed in the industry and I stayed in sales. And, you know, I really love speaking to different clients and dealing with different people. And then and then 10 years ago, I got into a leadership position, which, you know, really from there, I actually found something I really enjoy, you know, more than meeting clients is actually supporting and motivating and developing people. And then I ended up starting where or coming back to where I started into DHL in 2019 as an area sales manager. And then lockdown happened. <laughs> but really, really sort of positive environment. For me, DHL is the gold standard in the logistics industry for what we do and what we stand for. And it was definitely a beacon for me when the opportunity came up to to come to DHL. And a couple of years ago, sort of come two years ago, an opportunity came up to head up the contact center here in Redden. And I thought, don't know what I'm doing, but I'll jump at the chance. <laughs> and here I am 18 months later, sort of headed up a contact center where we've got around 85 FTE and working with really closely with all my colleagues in East Midlands as well. And we have total around 500 people in our customer service team in, in the UK, but I've learned so much. And if I look at my learning curves over the last 16, 17 years, the last 18 months has definitely been the steepest <laughs> and it's opened my eyes up to a, a completely new world that I was so naive to. And if anything, it's given me such a great respect for the industry and what these guys do day in, day out. And and you only realize it when it doesn't go wrong when you're trying to speak to a customer service team. But I definitely now, if I end up speaking to anyone in customer services, I really appreciate when it works well. And I always give positive feedback. So I, I feel my eyes have been opened <laughs> by the last 18 months, that's for sure. I love that. And High five to you right from the start from being someone that didn't know what they wanted to do because you have a kindred spirit here. I Same age, leaving uni, just I would look to other people who were hell-bent on, they had a destination, they knew where they were going. And I'd be thinking, is there something wrong with me? Because I'm just bumbling around. <laughs> I don't really know what I'm doing. Nothing wrong with that, Martin, I can confirm. <laughs> Brilliant. And but then, it's um, interesting on that. Martin, and this is one of my tangents, because I do a lot of work in schools in the community around where we are. And I want to kind of inspire the next generation to go, it's okay to not know what you want to do. And the next generation have more choices than we will ever Mm -hmm. have. And and we're looking at a generation where 65% of 
the jobs they're going to end in don't even exist yet. And there must be a, a mass amount of pressure and anxiety of, I don't know what to do. I don't know what path to take. So I do a lot of work in schools to actually go, that's okay. And for me, I'd like to think I'm someone that's proof that that's okay because yeah. you still find your way. And I think yeah. that story is actually probably more common than I think people really appreciate that people just find their way and bumble yeah. along like we've kind of done. I, I completely agree. And well done for doing stuff in schools. I was lucky enough to do some my stepdaughter and two of her friends came to work experience and it was just nice to spend a week with 16 year olds kind of talking about not just contact centers but careers and I think what they were saying is they get a lot of advice in inverted commas from people who are talking about the past so they say well you should have you should have something that you think you're going to do and their view is well we don't know what we want to do and I, you know, and you think there's no such, the people that are often making these comments are from an era when you could just go, right, I'm going to be a train driver and that's all I'm going to do for my entire life mm. rather than being open and think, well, what could I do? And maybe I'll do one of three things. I'll do three things at once and see which one I, I prefer. Mm -hmm. So do you, well, I think choices you... are no longer make or break really in your, yeah. in your career. And the things that I talk about in schools is more about attributes and mm -hmm. um, attitude will give you far more than just being dogged in one direction. And that choice is really a positive thing and that there are there are billions of young adults around the world who don't have their choices. So choice is a privilege and actually mm -hmm. they should respect that, but mm -hmm. allow themselves to kind of go through the motions. But it's how they conduct themselves and that integrity is really something I want to get across to those adults as that's where you need to focus. I love that. That's great. <laughs> you you said something as well around that first leadership role that you were like, oh, this is something I can really get my teeth into. What was that like? Can you just talk to that? Yeah, because I think a lot of people, when they feel reasonably confident in a role, they're like, oh, I could, I could be the manager of that role. I could be the leader of that role. But as we know, it's common that, you know, generally the best people in that role don't always make the best managers as well but I think for me I found a different motivation because I was getting out of bed for someone else <laughs> I was going to say with someone else but that sounds a bit <laughs> definitely a tangent but you know it actually made me more motivated to try and support them and look at the things that they were doing not doing from a holistic approach rather than being on 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 the outside and I'm, I'm one of those annoying motivated people at the best of times so definitely for me uh, supporting people through lots of challenges within their life, whether it's professionally or personally. And I've, I've gone through making people redundant. And, you know, for me, I used to say when I had customers and I was doing business development, which I loved, I always say to a customer, like, I can't promise you that everything's going to go right all the time. I will just promise you the best version of what we can offer. And I now do that to my people. It's like, I'm not going to promise you that every day is going to be fantastic and we're not going to mess up. We're not going to get it wrong. But I promise you, I will give you the best version of what we're able to do. And I still do that now. And I did step away from leadership and go back into business development. And I just was like, damn it, I'm, I really missed that. So, so for me, you know, 10 years later, and now I've got a lot more of people that I support. It's definitely something that I get energy from speaking to, speaking to the people that I feel that I'm responsible for. Mm -hmm. And for me, again, my goal is to... <clears throat> 
get the best out of them for themselves. And, you know, when you're driving stats and results, it's like not everybody's going to ever be at the same and that's fine. It's, it's respecting that individual to work at their natural best and supporting them in an individual way because not everything works the same for individuals. So I just feel like I learned so much and definitely going from a sales environment to a customer experience environment is what motivates salespeople <laughs> doesn't work <laughs> in customer services. And also your resources are much more limited. Because so I was like, well, sure, I can take my managers out for lunch. And they're like, can't do that. Like, oh my God, because <laughs> someone needs to be doing what they're doing. And, you know, so I've, I've really had to kind of probably get a bit more imaginative uh, and a completely different style. So I think wherever I go from here, hopefully it's staying within the customer experience arena. I think I'm a lot more rounded probably in the skills that I've got coming, coming into customer services, that's for sure. And that kind of whole piece of motivation and as a, as a highly motivated person yourself, how have you found kind of having to maybe tailor that for different people? I know it's something as a new leader, my first mistakes really were around motivation that I thought everyone was motivated the same way as I was that they were like miniature versions of me. And yeah. I didn't quite understand why they weren't motivated. You're like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> why yeah. don't you want to progress? <laughs> and, and, exactly. and yeah, well, I could definitely, definitely relate to that, that Martin. And I suppose it comes down to just getting to know the individual and it's being okay. If they want to be in the same job for 20 years, doesn't mm. mean that they can't be motivated. And, you know, one thing that I want to instill and I talk to my managers quite a lot, is, is having that pride in what people do. You know, if you want to stay in the same role, whatever that looks like, I want to make sure they have a place here with us at DHL. And it's just for them to kind of actually hold their head up high, look at areas that they'd like to work on. It doesn't necessarily mean it needs to lead to something else. But I think everybody has those leadership attributes within, and it's about giving them those opportunities to to come out and equally giving people the platform of if they want to move up within customer services or move out. And I've been really lucky within DHL because it's such a big organization. We've had people move into IT and HR. Recently had someone move into sales. We've even had someone move to train to be a pilot with us at DHL Aviation. And, And equally, I've spoken to people who've gone traveling and want to progress outside our company. And again, I want them to feel supported in their role with us wherever that that leads and I suppose for me it just goes to getting to know that individual because I don't think any type of motivation if you don't know your people you're kind of Mm. barking up the wrong tree (laughs) yeah it's very transactional then isn't it do you so just what you were saying then around DHL but it strikes me very progressive then and something you mentioned earlier on about attributes so it's people looking for attributes for positions because even with your own position so to go back 18 months mm. not you had no contact center experience right and what was my boss thinking honestly <laughs> but i think it points it it shows a real it, it's, it's it feels great it sounds great that they kind of go you know what i we reckon you'll be great at this yeah yeah and i i think dhl is progressive you know it really takes care of its people the average length of service is 26 years which you know in a, in a modern company wow. that's very yeah. very rare but again i think they equally realize that sometimes that can become stagnant so you end up people just just being very linear 
mm-hmm. in their career and it's just this career ladder that everybody moves up and nothing changes and you just replicate what's come before you because that's what your representation of success was whereas I go back to Cheryl Sandberg I remember reading her her book who says she was the CEO of Facebook and she said it your career should be more like a very American term but jungle gym and you move around and I think mm-hmm. that's what DHL uh, really promotes and you know I've come into an amazing experienced team <laughs> And they're probably like, oh my God, this this woman sort of coming in with their ideas and, and not knowing, didn't know what AHD was or a conformance, adherence and shrinkage. And I was like, what? <laughs> but it's it's great. We work together uh, and I've got a fa- fantastic development team who do an amazing job with all the really essential things like forecasting and, and planning and, and working with Sabio on optimization. But equally, they support me with my harebrain schemes which are really people-focused. So, Jen, I, I wanted to ask you about workforce optimization. I understand that you've just gone through a, a big project in this. Is that right? What have you been up to? Yeah, yeah. So we, we've been working with Sabia for a long time, and I just want to get this straight in mind. I am not a technical person, but I've got very amazing technical people in my team who work really well with in Savio. But we've been using WFO for a while. But I think the consensus was, especially from a regional perspective, because we use it across a lots of majority of our countries, especially in Europe, that we weren't getting the best out of the tool. And I think for me, in any technical tools that you use, there's probably so much of it that you don't really tap into. Uh, but this was really cru- crucial for our future, our development and our strategic direction that we were really utilizing. WFO in the best ability. And that's where we reached out to Sabio to go, you know, can you help us with this optimization pro- project, which they're amazing at helping us with. And I think long and short of it, it's really helped us propel forward so much quicker than we would have. I think we could have probably scrambled around and figured it out eventually. And for me, because I'm very people led, I love the fact that you can use something really technical and analytical. Mm-hmm and make it a better place for your people to work and give you a better customer experience. So what the project did, it allowed us to be a lot more accurate, a lot more effective, understanding where our people are, what they were doing, and and really goes back to that, the right people, the right place, the right time. And that only benefits your advisors and obviously therefore benefits the people. And we've been able to reinvest that time back into our people as well and it's given us the data to really be much more agile and strategic of like right what do we want to do with this information how do we want to plan better and what my guys are amazing at is planning and forecasting and we use a lot of the work that we've done with Sabio and we do these wonderful weekly planning meetings highlight of my week and we it's night and day we're so much more accurate and generally within like two percent of you know we're, and we're sort of we're sometimes doing seventeen thousand pieces of work a day but it allows us to really focus on right where do we need the people what do we need them to do and that's where this project has really really enabled us to help that we don't get the two ends of the spectrum when it comes to advisors we don't get the burnout and we don't get sort of the agile agile uh, idle time for advisors as well and it's always that happy balance and that happy medium and it's basically we've been able to make the most of the skills that we have, right? 
and then plug that back into giving a great customer experience as well. So like I said, I think it's just really accelerated us far more than I think you could ever kind of understand. And it feels like we're on top of where we need to be and it enables us now to kind of almost forecast the rest of the year. And I think previously we were almost sort of working out what, what is going on today. And it just gives us a really good view and picture of our day, our week, our month and what we need to do. And, you know, at the end of the day, you want to be able to inform your advisors of what that looks like. So it's really helped us with communication to our managers of what their day or week or month is going to look like and therefore the advisors as well. And and we can be really clear on where we need them and, and what they're going to be doing as well. So uh, it's been endlessly beneficial. That's for brilliant. Us. That's brilliant. Yeah. And it sounds, you know, I think we're all searching for this kind of perfect, the combination of knowing that we have reassurance that we're maximizing the technology at our disposal. But from what you just said there, it's it's based on making things better for all of the people involved. And that includes your your customers. So it sounds great. It sounds like you've done a fantastic yeah. job there. And really, and really with that, I think it's helped our engagement as well, because we can plan in, you know, a lot more from a motivational events as well. And we're actually now getting to the point where we're going to plan in much more development to the advisors option. So we give mm. now the option of a development day and they could do whatever they like. So, you know, looking at, you know, development plans, but it doesn't have to be something that's customer service related. And what I love about DHL is that other parts of the business look at us and go, right, where's our next talent coming from? So I had this conversation this week with the VP of HR and she's like, we look at CS and we've got people in IT that come from CS and sales, et cetera. And, you know, it might seem silly that an optimization project can, can benefit the rest of the business, but I think it just enables and unlocks that potential in the advisor's sort of thought process of actually I've got this capacity and this space to actually think about my future and where I want to go. And, you know, if that's within CS, it's like that's how to develop them in in that direction if that's what they want. But, you know, a much more holistic approach. And it just enables us to have that breathing mm. room because we're so much more, like I said, strategic on like what does the time look like? And it's just, again, enabled our fantastic planning team to be really, like I said, it comes down to accuracy, doesn't it? It's like you, you know where you would need people. And it's just a nicer, better experience for everybody all around, which, as we know, Martin, always goes back into the customer experience at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. I love it. Brilliant. So, you know, I, I've got a great support team who we need that experience from. So mm-hmm. you couldn't have you know, 20 gens coming in with no contact center experience, everything would fall over. But it's a great having a balance of those people that have some new ideas and and are looking at things in a different way. But those who actually know how to maintain <laughs> the status quo uh, as well. And, and my planning team, they plan 17,000 pieces of work a day. Wow. Generally within 2%. I mean, yeah. what they do, <laughs> and specifically my guys, we've got a guy called Ian who hands up our planning team and Naomi, our development team. And what they do is amazing. And I'm not a technical person at all. So I'm completely blinded by the figures that they, that they do. But for me, customer experience, customer services is a perfect choreographed dance of all these people. And that's how I kind of visualize it in my head. You know, you've got this perfect routine but actually, if it doesn't work with one person, it kind of falls over a bit and doesn't look quite right. So when you see a success in a particular team or an individual, 
it's all these other moving parts that make it perfect. But equally, like any piece of choreography, um, it can change and adapt and still be amazing. It doesn't need to be the same. It can evolve. And, you know, I'd say the team that I work with are constantly looking how to evolve. And it definitely starts with our people first in, in everything we do and every decision we make. It's like, how does it affect our affect our people? But I definitely need these guys to keep me grounded when I have all these ideas. You're the choreographer that's coming up with. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. And they sort of like, yeah, we'd love to do that, Jen. However, it's not, not going to work. But there's always a compromise somewhere. Right? Yeah. So when you have these ideas start somewhere and then actually you look into it and it evolve and it doesn't necessarily end up how you first envisioned it. But, you know, I look at my last 18 months in role and it's night and day night and day to the experience my advisors get to the experience that they get now and it's working collectively as a group that's driven that forward and alongside that is the customer experiences is still the heart of the things that we we do as well as like how they're feeling about the service that we're offering because DHL has really high expectations because like I said this mm. is my version we are the gold standard in the industry so our KPRs are like 90% of calls in 10 seconds, you know, 90% of emails within eight hours and 90% of chats in 60 seconds. And you have to hit that every single day with 500 people, 17,000 pieces of work. You know, that's a mammoth task. Oh. And sometimes I'm just that annoying little, <laughs> it's like, but I want to give them breaks whenever they want to, because it's so nice for them. <laughs> it's like, but we're getting there. We're getting there. It's, it's like I said, it's a, a positive change in the last 18 months but it's a combination of all our hard work to to get us there and to that kind of your vision then of what the day would look like so you say it's gone from night to day can you mm. remember back then at the outset what your vision what your vision was yeah because i think again coming from a a job where you didn't micromanage people you know you've got you've got teams out on the road and you know my kind of thing to my previous teams i don't i don't care if you're you know doing your weekly shop on a tuesday afternoon it's fine it's up to you as long as you bring in the numbers do your work make sure you're you're hitting all your kpis that's fine to a world where someone was over their lunch break for five minutes it, it was it was a real kind of shock to me in an environment that i've never worked before i was like that doesn't doesn't feel right. However, my mindset's evolved to actually the importance of getting that balance right. And I feel in the last 18 months, we have got that balance right. And we did have an attrition challenge, specifically in my contact center, it was over 100%. So we, you know, we really had to look at why everyone was leaving and what their experience is now. And I, I now have an attrition of around 23%. And I don't want right. it to be lower because I think you want people to yeah, move yeah. on and, and, you know, it's really how they feel about their experience here. And, you know, one of my, my goals, and I'm sure you've had it with all your jobs you've done, Martin, is you look back at certain jobs and they were like, they were the good old days. And you have these rose-tinted glasses of what it was like to work in specific jobs. And I think everybody has that. And, you know, my goal is that someone, wherever they stay with us for, you know, a couple of months or a couple of years or 20 years, that one day they look back and go, sure, well, that was really good. And it was a nice yeah. bunch of people. And, you know, I felt like they cared and, you know, and it isn't about one massive 
uh, seeing that we change. I think for me, it goes back to that incremental gains culture. It's every single contact, every single comms, every single conversation, you know, every time you offer that element of flexibility and and me and the, the team I was just talking about, we've got more things that we want to do. It's, it's constantly got to evolve. You're never, ever finished. It's like the Gaudi yeah. Cathedral, right? It's like you've got to <laughs> yeah. you've got to keep going. You've got to keep going, and and we've got loads and loads of wonderful plans that are really exciting, and we make sure we communicate those plans effectively with everybody in a realistic way. Like this might not happen, but we want to know this is this is where we're, we're at. And our ultimate goal is that our advisors choose the type of shifts, they choose their type of work, and I don't think that's unrealistic. Mm. But you know, that's where I'd love to get to from a really rigid. This is your hours. This is your breaks. This is what you have to do to, you know, we'll work with you much more holistically and, and, and people focused. And as you know, you know, you get, you get your people feeling motivated and inspired, motivated in different ways, Martin, but then they deliver the right customer experience. But, you know, on the ground, it's, it, it's really challenged to balance that out. And we don't always get it right, but we learn from that and we keep moving forward. I'm fully signed up to the target of giving people a good feeling so yeah. that there's the, because I think it's a, our industry is such a fascinating one that you're trying to bring that to bear in an environment that is actually very rigid. So mm-hmm. lot, you know, just endless numbers, endless struct, you know, structured delivery KPI. There's no wiggle room yet. Within that environment, you're trying to give people, as you've mentioned a couple of times, that we're like a, it's a holistic experience, right? Mm. As, an, as a member of the team, I always think, you know, you can, you can be honest with people and say, the job is tough, right? If you're, if you're on the phones, the job is, is tough. But what we're going to do is everything around you and everything that supports you and everything that you encounter and experience is going to be is going to be a positive. So you're right. Mm. In the future, you will you can say to people, "Job was tough, but I loved it. I loved my team. Mm. I loved my the structure around us, my manager, all of this sort of thing." Then that's a job well done. You know mm. that kind of that kind of right. It is. It's rose tinted, but it's it's the reality for so many people in our industry completely. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and like I said, this was the kind of the biggest challenge for me coming from a very, very, very flexible environment. My guy still did a good job. I just want to point that out, right? Yeah. <laughs> we still delivered the revenue we need to deliver, et cetera. But, you know, it was that trust and, and treating them as adults, like this is what you've got to do. Now work at your best to get that. And that will be different to a very restricted environment. And, you know, and we talked a little bit about before. Martin, for me, it's very much giving people a framework to work within. Uh, even, you know, the work from home balance, which is, you know, really hot topic. And we're still in our real infancy of what does working from home or, and working in the office if means and how structured or strict you want to be. Because if you're too relaxed, let's face it, some people will never come in. <laughs> as much as you're like, but oh, it's so yeah. great. And we've given you some cakes and fruit. And they're like, yeah, well, I still want to have to drive in or whatever. So. It's giving that really clear framework and the reasons why and, and what they get out of it. And, you know, here in my contact centre, we do one week in, three weeks at home, which I'm like, going back a few years' time, people would bite your hand off of that, yeah. especially in this industry as well. So I think it's super, super flexible. 
But I love the fact that I'm like, you can come in as much as you like. And believe it or not, there are people that do. <laughs> yeah. No, I do. Which I, I love. believe it. But equally within that time they're in the office, people are still individuals and they still have outside pressures and, and challenges and needs and requirements. So, you know, we still want to support them with that. So I just give them a framework of ideally coming when your team are here. But if you need to swap out a day because you've, you've got something that you need to, to deal with, just come in another day. Right. And, you know, for me, that's, that's a balance of the partnership that we're about. And I don't want to have this parent child relationship, which I see in a lot of like the contact center industry is like, you know, we're going to tell you what to do. And I think sometimes it creates this almost like learn helplessness model within advisors and can create a sense of fear uh, that they can't necessarily push back or they're scared to ask for help or equally they're scared to get things wrong. And my big thing at the moment is I'm trying to push this. There's much more this progress principle that even if someone's been with us a long time and they're really experienced, there's still more things you can learn. So we're taking almost some of or amending some of our support structures to actually put ownership back on the advisors, but in a positive way that actually they know where to get the resources, they know where to go to help and that they can continue that learning, which for me is really important that they do that and then continue to take a sense of pride in in what they do, which is ultimately what I want everybody who works here to feel at the end of their day or, you know, wherever they go on to in the future, that they look back with a sense of pride. And I love the idea of the command and control kind of ethos lends its, leads to learned helplessness so that yeah. it's kind of like, well, it's not on me. You haven't told me, you haven't told me what to do, so... Yeah. And you kind of lose that common sense approach or almost the ideas. And, you know, we're really big at DHL. We want, we want the ideas from our advisors. They use our systems day in, day out. They're the one who speaks to our customer. And we do a lot of the voice of the customer. We do digitalization initiatives. We want our advisors to give us ideas. But I think you also need to give them that platform to actually think for themselves at, at the same time. And again, it doesn't happen overnight with one initiative. I think it's you're, you're layering the support in maybe a different way. The way you coach and develop and support is less about correction and much more about connection. Oh, that's a lovely phrase. Oh, I've got all the little, I've got all of these, Ryan. <laughs> not, it's, it's about connection, not correction. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think it's so hard for an advisor. I'm not sure I could have necessarily coped but you know they were constantly marking them down on their quality or their adherence and it it's sort of these just human traits are sometimes seen as seen as a negative but again you could you can flip that and go on do you know you did really well on equality we need to work on these elements and or you know you you called for a, we've got a help key you called a help key but actually we we think you know how to deal with that situation or how to deal with those challenging customers or how not to transfer that call because you could have dealt with it and we believe in you that you could have dealt with that yourself and it's having that belief and raising people up rather than pushing them down i can still remember being an advisor and saying to one of my team leaders that they were like a a woodpecker just it was just little constant little taps of you haven't done this you haven't done that you haven't done this and because so much is measured there was never a lack of things to talk to you about, but it's how you yeah. can, you're dead right, how you can take information and actually choose to ignore some of it and say, you know what, I'm not going to talk again about this. Let's find something a bit 
meaty that might have a more long-lasting impact mm. rather than we need to talk about your AHD, AHD yeah. again. I can imagine oh, really? you were a bit rogue, Martin. I was, yeah. I've no doubt he has to be a woodpecker. Just keep yeah. on it. Yeah, I, but I imagine I was also like you <clears throat> when you first started there. But I kept saying, why are we doing this? Why do we do it this way? So I can imagine that people are like, oh, she's off again. Yeah. And I've had to learn myself from a developmental perspective to myself as well, like how to manage that, you know, how you challenge in the right way, how you respect the current processes. And to change something doesn't mean that something wasn't working in the first place. And, you know, that the pressure almost to drive things forward is a privilege, right? And I don't always get it right. I don't always have the best ideas, but I've got a really supportive team as well. And very good at giving me feedback. (laughs) If it's not if it's not going right, but I want that, you know, I want to get it right, and I'm really really passionate about about that. But you know, we're we're going to try things, we're going to fail. But I think if you're not failing, you're not really pushing the boundaries, are you? No, completely agree. And you said something as well about I really like your the approach on being back in the office in one week and three weeks. Mm. You said that you also you're really keen on, and you across the board, but specifically for this on communicating who is in the office right yeah yeah and i send out again i'm sure not i'm sure everyone reads this but you know every friday without fail i'll send out a little newsletter with updates of what's happening in the week a little summary and even again open and honest communications of some of the maybe the challenges we've had this week and some of the changes coming coming up and within that it's like who's in the office this week so again even when i've got someone who's going well I didn't make my full week in, so I'm going to do an extra day. Or I've got, you know, the advisors that just enjoy coming in or just for preference need to come in so they know who's in. I even let them know when I'm going to be in. I'm irrelevant <laughs> to them. But I, I I still go, right, I'm going to be in, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday this week. And then, you know, they know they're going to be in because I want to feel connected to them as as well. And, you know, I think connection is is really key and core to making people feel comfortable because, you know, I think with working remotely, working at home does bring out, you know, probably anxieties within people that they've never felt mm. before. And it's yeah. that constant flip between working in different ways, working in a solitary confinement kind of environment to, oh my God, I'm in a busy office. And anything that I can do to take away that anxiety, even if it is going, well, I'm going to be in on Monday. Okay. These are the managers in, these are the teams that are in these. Are, I even put the hours that generally the guys are working so they know. I think if that helps one or two people in that mm. week, then it's it's worth me trying to fumble around looking at schedules. <laughs> but equally for me, and I, you know, it talks about Martin about raising people up and highlighting people, and you know, I'm really passionate about a reward and recognition culture. Um, yeah. And I think everyone does it a little bit, and you know, DHL, you know, multiple award-winning, great place to work, you know, number one place to work, and you know, we do it fantastically well, and we've got all these resources. But it was actually bringing it together, giving it some identity and actually making it more transparent across the different teams because we had different Mm. people doing different things. Everyone was doing the right thing. And I read a case study and it was, I think it was like a massive operation or and they own like Taco Bell, KFC. So massive, massive. And I think the CEO, he would give out an award. It was a chicken, but that's irrelevant. It was a proper chicken. But he would take a Polaroid picture of you know, the person who'd won the award and he would stick it on his office. And then over the sort of the 20 years, I've, you can see pictures that he's just got this office filled with pictures and it, it's so visual. 
And mm, I and I look that. back the last few years, you know, we yes, we've always given out awards, and I'm sure everybody does, but it's all electronic, right? It's on emails yeah. or you know, internal systems, and you know, there's nothing, nothing tangible to hold on to. So we've created this this culture, which is the same across every team, and we've got really visual boards in our office, and they get a picture. Um, nice. You know, whether they win something for a weekly award, a monthly award, they get their picture taken. Yes, they get vouchers and all the nice things but you know i love seeing this reward and recognition board and it's not branded dhl i I definitely wanted to move away from that and i worked with a a great design team and we did emojis because i thought it's a universal language isn't it emojis and we we put it there so it's virtually on our our sharepoint system we send it on email and it's in the office as well and and they can see it and because i just i want people to come in and go do you know what i wonder what they did to get that award mm, yeah. advisor of the month wonder what they did mm. maybe i can i can do that as well and we do an award where the colleagues nominate each other again going to this remote work and there's probably so many things we just don't see anymore you don't see those advisors that are openly helping other people and supporting other people so we send out a survey every month and go right just nominate give us the reasons and it's probably one of my favorite meetings that I have with the senior leadership team because we read every single nomination and it's so heartwarming to see our colleagues supporting each other. And you kind of in my head are going, we're doing something right because this is, yeah. this is so lovely. And then we then we choose someone and, and they get colleague of the month as well. And we, we send out like, this is what they've done. And we've seen some fantastic, fantastic, heartwarming stories. So it's not all numbers and figures and forecasting and optimization and grade of service and KPIs, you know, there's, there's, there's the people element and the, the individuals as well and all these positive, positive attributes. And I think if we're cultivating that in our culture, we are doing something right. Well, it's this word connection that you used earlier, isn't it? Is that, mm. um, and you're dead right. If you've got people from home, you kind of have to do more. I think you have to work harder to be more visual, certainly. and push push that more so mm. that people are reminded constantly of because i think we've all it's not like you say you you something you said then around having to you, you can't always see it i know if i walked on a contact center floor that i'd managed in the past i could point out the people within the teams that held the teams together because they were always the ones looking after the their colleagues always the ones going to make teas or an arm around the shoulder or what whatever yeah. it was and then when you have people working from home they're probably doing that through teams messages and and things like that but it's it's not as it's not as noticeable so and also the other thing as well about our environment so fast paced that we don't doing the recognition thing is actually a moment just to stop and smell the roses and mm. if you can record it in a photo i get you know i've got we used to do newsletters and the newsletters included, there were lots of photos, lots of all the award winners. And it's just lovely to look back at things from 15 years ago the, mm. with the smiles on people's faces, that kind of thing. And I don't, I think we're so, we're always focused on hitting our numbers, delivering a good service that sometimes we forget all of this lovely stuff that happens. So more power to you if you're recording yeah, it. And I think, you know, I've had times when I've given or let someone know that they've got an advisor of the month or colleague of the month or team manager of the month, whatever. And you see them well up and you're like, oh yeah. my God. You know, I can, 
I can deal with the things that I worry about. I can deal with the long hours and I can deal with the challenges of constantly trying to balance out the the respect and results. But it's all worth it when you feel like that was something so minor, you know, in my day in the sense of, you know, how long it's taken me or, you know, what we're going to do. But to that person, it means so much. Uh, and I really want to do more of that. And my strategy is now turned much more to a well-being culture. And I think that's definitely something that I think is the buzzword, right? Everyone's like, we have a well-being culture. And I was like, but what do you actually do? <laughs> you know, Apart from, you know, everyone's got mental health first aider, which, you know, are so valuable. And I agree that. But controversially, I'm like, if you need a mental health first aider, the horse has already bolted and you've let someone down. Because it's before that you should be supporting your teams in, in multiple different ways so that, you know, they have that support structure. And are you aware of how they're feeling? And we do like a lot of contact centers. We, we use tools and gamification and, you know, ask questions. And just every week we ask one question. How are you feeling? Right. Three answers. Great. Good. Not so good. I always answer great, Martin, just so you know. And with those results. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just don't even think about it anymore. But, you know, with, with those results, we really can keep our finger on the pulse of, especially with our remote culture of how they're feeling. And it doesn't necessarily be a big feel. It can be just reaching out to them and go, is everything okay? And I've had people actually answer not so good just to test to see what we do. <laughs> nice. Well, that's annoying. And we track and trend it. And, you know, when we look at even our employee engagements and the surveys that we do, there's a direct correlation between how people are feeling to actually their engagement. Even if their feelings are external to their, to their job, it, it does affect, obviously, probably their engagement. Does, yeah. no, no surprise. So for me, it's, it's definitely going to those root causes and giving people real practical advice and resources. And there's, there's so much that, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'm still trying to figure that out, but it's definitely something that I really want to focus on the second half of this year to signpost resources. And they don't cost money, right? It doesn't, it's not, it's not about spending money and, and putting posters together. We've probably already got most of the resources, but it's signposting them and making sure that people know that these resources are available even to, you know, we've got a community book club, you know, that, the importance and the impact of reading on people's mental health and exercise and all those things. I think people know, but it's just that drip feeding that information of, did you know how much difference this could make? And, and I really want to share stories, bring things to life of what people have done and the journeys that they've, they've been to. So not only just make it advice, but make it really personal to actually, there's some people that really want to share their story and I want to give them a, give them a platform. Mm -hmm. Everything everything starts with education you know that is kind of the education of just even team leaders knowing let's say someone's scores not good yeah. that you don't always have to hit them with solutions to start with that they might just be looking for comfort so yeah. they just might want to share you know that's a an educational piece for for team leaders because mm -hmm. i think generally speaking as a as an industry we've evolved our understanding of well-being but we still have a way to go and that is the next stage for me is this kind of like what you're talking about now is application so yeah. we've gone past awareness now we need to we go we're aware of it and we we all say it we all talk about it but what are we to your point what are we actually going to be doing about it 
Um, and probably in a really annoying way, how do you measure it? Like, how do you know if something's being successful? Yeah. <laughs> and that's why, you know, it could be with, you know, absence is one part, but, you know, we've all talked about probably the amount of people that are never absent, but they, they've yeah. still got challenges. So, you know, it's maybe this weekly question is one way for us to to measure, like, are we doing all the right things? And we definitely see a direct correlation between, you know, all the other things that we're doing and the well-being question. And again, it goes back to that perfectly choreographed dance that actually if if we're not getting one thing right and you know in our industry is it's tremendously difficult to forecast what's going to happen you know because we're impacted by you know weather issues yeah. <laughs> different parts of the world you know down to you know customs challenges etc that will drive up calls different types of calls and you can't always forecast that's going to happen but you know we need to make sure that when we are planning and forecasting that either puts immense pressure on some people and equally, you might have other times where people that don't have that much to do and they're not that that engaged. So, you know, for me, again, it goes back to this. We can talk about reward and recognition. We can talk about well-being. We can talk about planning and, and flexibility. But it's all got to work together for it to really work. You could be really amazing at one thing, but it's irrelevant if you don't get the rest of it all kind of lined up as well. You know, when as well as sort of getting your teeth stuck into the your own contact center going to things like or being on the stage at disrupt with sabio how much time did you spend looking at the wider industry or was it i guess all encompassed with your your own world have you spent have you managed to get out and about or? are you asking me like how much research do you actually do into what you're talking about <laughs> no I, I, well as i started to ask it i thought wait a minute how have you even got time yeah, how did you get to this point, Jan? Really, did you do you actually look into anything, or you just kind of winging it? Definitely winging it. And I think Same. you know, I, I probably come in from a unique, naive background, but I think that's given me that unique approach at, at the same time. And like I said, I you know, I ruffle set feathers, but I have the support as as well. And you know, it's really simple stuff. And I love researching and understanding different things and whether it's going on to to web, webinars, but even at just being at Disrupt, just the amount of notes I'm writing, I was like, oh, I'm going to nick that my idea, right? Okay. <laughs> and there's loads of so many things. It's like, oh, we do that, but we could do it better or we don't do it at all. Or I can sit there a bit smug and go, we already do that. So that's generally a lot of my my personal research. And Disrupt has been great with that also some of the ccma things that that are run as well and it's it's great to kind of see what other people are doing and i don't think we shout about that enough a lot of us have exactly the same challenges it doesn't matter what industry you're in the same challenges you have around forecasting shrinkage adherence you know absence and attrition or you know maybe stagnant culture you know, we're united probably with those challenges. And I guarantee there are so many people doing amazing things we just don't hear about. I think maybe one day I want to be a CTMA judge so I can just go in and understand all the great things everybody's doing. <laughs> you just have to hit record. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think we, we do need to, and what you do, Martin, is great. It's sharing those stories of what people have done. And, you know, Sabio do that with with Disrupt and, you know, all these great organizations do a lot of things. But we need to do more of that and have more forums and share and not be afraid to share things that aren't working because, you know, it's easy to come on here, Martin, or, you know, go on stage at Sabio 
or whatever and just go, oh, we do these things really well. Like, look at us, check us out. But actually, it's more being vulnerable to the challenges that you've got and maybe share that burden of, do you know what I mean? I've got a real particular challenge with, you know, getting people to be more flexible in their roles. You know, they might have been in the same role for 20 years and you're trying to ask them to do something else and they're really restrictive to it and it's affecting our absence and it's affecting our well-being and how do I evolve my culture with the, supporting the people at the same time because it feels like a trade-off sometimes with with people and you know I'm not saying that's a specific example for me but I think no, I, you know I think we need to sometimes be more honest with the yeah. challenges that we have and it's not just a shout about look at everything we're doing right it's actually we've tried something and it's it it's fails or I've got these challenges and I'm not sure where to go. And I definitely have felt that, especially in my first probably six months to a year, because I felt like everything I wanted to try, I couldn't. And I'd never experienced that much restriction before when I'm trying to create something. And it just felt like I was getting shut doors and like walls. But that wasn't anybody's fault. That's just the deep culture that contact centers are, are in. But there's so many wonderful things we can do. And it's going back to that framework, not just for our advisors or our managers, but also myself. You know, I have a framework. I have to hit KPIs and make sure everyone's kind of where they should be at any one time. But within their framework, there's always flexibility. I think you've got, you make a really good point. I like to think that wherever, whether it's this podcast or the events that you've talked at, you've got an informed audience there that are kind of, they they listen to the good stuff and they hear it and they and like you they're going oh I'm going to steal that but they know that that's come that there's a flip side to that coin right and and we've all kind of experienced those mm. challenges you know you talked about at the outset your attrition was 100 percent straight away I went back to a period where I was working where I had the same challenge so I feel that connection to you then because I go yeah I know what that was like it's no mm. fun you know you kind of the moment when I didn't know people's names because I was thinking, who there's another. Oh, I get the wrong, Martin. That's worse than not knowing them. Is calling them by the wrong name. <laughs> not so much anymore, yeah. but it's yeah. difficult. It's difficult. Oh, yeah, massively so. But I think, you know, that kind of the, the shared experience of being in a fast paced, customer focused environment that is restricted by, by all of those things, yet still wanting to be creative creating a wonderful environment it's a it's a lovely challenge to have but one that i think everyone can kind of relate to yeah it goes back to just leading with integrity right you know mm. it's you know just go with your gut instinct and go with you go with your your core and keep driving forward and i suppose it's not only motivating other people but you have to have that motivation within yourself that despite the challenges despite the restrictions you're still looking forward. And like I said, I, I see that with my colleagues that I, I work with and, you know, the, the challenges that we have. But sometimes the joy is in the process, not the outcome. Yeah. Because when, when you're trying to make people happy, it's like, I'll be happy when. I'll be happy yeah. when I can, I can yeah. choose my breaks or I can choose my work or I can choose this. I'll be happy when. We don't get phone calls anymore. I'll be happy when, <laughs> right? Or, yeah. you know, if you're kind of on the board, you'll be, I'll oh, happy when my operational efficiency reaches this, I'll be happy when. But there's always going to be something else. As soon as you get that, let's face it, we used to have people probably wanted more flexibility to work from home. They now have mm -hmm. that. And then they go, I'll be happy when. So that that is constantly moving. And you will never get to that end result 
it's trying to actually create joy in the in the process itself that you know we're all in this together as cheesy as it sounds we're all trying to go in the right direction we might have different ideas but let's work through them and work together and try different things and I do that we do that really well here but I would love to do it more within the industry as well and and have that same vulnerability of the things that aren't really working so well or the things that we've tried and haven't quite hit the mark so you need to get people on Martin who are going to tell you about all the things that haven't worked (laughs) yeah go for it like I think you learn more from those experiences anyway like I always end up going to the the girls' football team, my coach, but you find out about your team and their mindset when we've been beaten, you know, not when we've won a game easily because you get to see things you want to change. You get to see people's character show up. And I think, you know, that's our industry every day, isn't it? You kind of, you can't, you can't, I, I would tell my team leaders, don't, Yes, you have to be mindful of the results. You you do. But if you think you're going to look at your dashboard and it's ever going to be all green and all above target, the destination, yeah, you're right. Your The happiness shouldn't be based on the destination. You should be happy just moving moving through this and thinking, yeah. right, these, these are just pointing out where you might want to look rather than it being, oh, my God, I've still got, I'm still behind target on five areas. Well, guess what? It's kind of always going to be like that. And I talk to, when I go into schools and talk to them about sort of career choices and I, I talk about what is grit, so guts, resilience, initiative, tenacity. And this contact centre world, resilience is, is the one thing that you, you see across every job. Uh, you have to constantly have that resilience of being knocked out all the time and getting back up. And that's the biggest trait I see with the advisors and, and the managers. And like you said, Martin, you kind of see what they're really made of when things go right. Yeah. And I think it's the same in any type of leadership role as well. Like anyone can give out awards like, oh, look at you, you're amazing. And look at you and give them everything you want. But actually, what type of leader are you when you've got to to deliver bad news or drive things that you know that you're going to get groans in the ring, <laughs> no matter how much you sugarcoat stuff. Like, we're going to do this and you're going to hate it, but it'll be fine and we'll get through it. And, you know, I suppose you've just got to, I'm probably annoyingly positive. My husband moans about me all the time. He thinks I see like sunshine, rainbows, unicorns, but I'm a massive believer that we are far more capable than we ever realize. And I want people to see a challenge as something that they can achieve rather than go, I can't, can't learn that and I can't do that and I'm going to change my system. And I was like, everything is difficult before it's easy. Yeah. You know, and if it's not difficult, you're not really trying. <laughs> so, you know, and I just, I constantly want to push and push, but hopefully in a positive, resilient way for people to work, like I said, at their, their natural best. And wherever this role takes them, I want them to have an opportunity at a meaningful future, a meaningful career of whether this is just the starting block or this is almost where they end. But that sounds quite morbid, doesn't it? <laughs> but, you know, they have <laughs> a place. We want you to die here. Yes. Uh, but they have a place in this industry. And that's so wonderful. Yeah. I mean, you look at lots of industries and it's a very specific demographic across the board and and I look at the people even in my office today and I'm so proud of the 
variety we have from a cultural heritage and the things that we celebrate and, you know, the age difference between people and the teams working together is really heartwarming to see. And that's something we have in this industry and we definitely need to celebrate Mm. it. But by doing that, you have to do, have to treat people as individuals. And it just goes back to that, that framework and the flexibility within that framework. I 100% agree. You're, you're very inspirational. I've loved this. Thank you so much for coming on. I definitely want to come and visit you and see your operation in, re- in real life. Thank you. I'll get out the good biscuits for you, Martin. Oh, get good. you on the phones. Good. Well, when you're talking good biscuits, what do you mean? I want to be clear. <laughs> I don't know. Someone else gets them for me. <laughs> I just get them um, out. I don't eat them myself, but yeah. <laughs> so Jen Sharp, thank you so much for coming on. It's been brilliant. And uh, I've loved listening to your talk. Thank you, Martin. Thank you. I remember when you invited me and I said, worst case scenario, just never ask me again. <laughs> oh no, you're definitely coming back on. <laughs> brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Get Out of Rap. I wouldn't be able to do this without the help of my good friends at Sabio. They've been with me from the start and I appreciate everything that they do. So thank you very much and take care of yourselves.